Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in the world given back to us. We're recording uh, in late August right now uh, as school is getting going. We're in the backyard of the well, Johnson We're in the first family. half of August still. Are we still? August 13th. We're, we're getting there. Yeah. Um, we're getting towards the towards school and so our free-for-all today with uh, two of the Johnston girls is going to be what we have been doing this summer. And our main topic is going to be about how the church can look pretty ugly sometimes as it is uh, full of sinners but is still the beautiful bride of Christ and talk about how that got played out in history but then even more importantly uh, going forward what does that mean for how we should look at the church and individual congregations and synods and denominations and all that kind of stuff but we need to introduce our two guests here so uh, girls why don't you tell us your name so we, uh, you've both been on before, but just remind our listeners, and then tell us what grade you're about to go into at St. John's Lutheran in Milwaukee next week. Hi, my name's Sophia, and I'm going into fourth. Hi, my name's Anna, and I'm going into sixth grade. Excellent, thank you so much. And Sophia, you're going to read our disclaimer? Okay. Why don't you go ahead? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much... Much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Excellent. And we'll be back with the Johnston Girls. And that brings us to our free-for-all. As Mike noted, we are in the backyard on the patio of the new Johnston house. Um, We had quite the move this summer. We moved a whopping three blocks um, to the west of where we used to live. Moved into a house that thankfully is bigger, about 800 square feet bigger. Went from a one-car garage to a, a two-and-three-quarter. So you were able to keep all your children. I know for yeah. a while there you were, we were thinking on the edge. you had to, had to lose a couple. I won't say who we were leaning towards getting rid of, but... Uh, I could guess. I yeah, know, I know who we were. We uh, managed to get one of the few double lots in the neighborhood. We've got a driveway. Didn't have a driveway before. A two-car wide driveway, so Mike's going to be coming over to help shovel and snow blow that. Absolutely. In the winter, I'm assuming... Um, and uh no alley too no alleys no alley nice. yep That's although we do butt up to aldi um so the girls can walk over there easily to get milk and coffee creamer we could just jump like the they fence. did today we probably could do that too yeah it might be a little difficult um as part of that move we talked about i think a little bit mike uh last time i uh managed to fall off our patio steps uh getting ready for a softball tournament and blew out my kneecap and the ligaments. So I've had surgery and I've been kind of stuck here. So Mike was uh, kind enough to come record here uh, at the new house. Um, Anna and Sophie, maybe we could just start with asking you, you like the new house better or the old house? And uh, if you like the new house better, what do you like best? Okay, so I like the new house better because it's bigger and... It's nicer, and it's cleaner. <laughs> so far. 
<laughs> We're going to keep it that way, hopefully. <laughs> what about you, Anna? Okay, um, I like the new house bigger because it's better because it's bigger and I like that we have wood floors instead of carpets in our rooms. Yeah, that is a nice that, touch. That's nice. Carpets suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is very nice. I have to say this is a pretty classy household. Um, looks good. Well, we've had our big move. What? Uh, it's August 13th, so a lot of people might think school's a long ways off. I know in Michigan, most schools didn't start till after Labor Day. When do you guys start school? I don't know. Um, it's the 21st or 22nd, I don't know. And the week after this one. You ready for it? No. Start wearing your uniforms every day? No. Yeah. Are you look, what, what are you looking forward to for fourth grade, Sophie? Seeing my friends and having recess and lunch and not having to deal with my siblings. Okay, and Anna? I don't know. Nothing? Yeah, nothing really. What grade are you going to be in again? Six. Let them know. Sixth grade, so you're one volleyball? grade away from middle school? No, no. It's, it, it is middle school. Oh, sixth grade is considered the middle school? You got yeah. volleyball, aren't okay, you looking forward Lutheran, to that? Okay, but we're Lutheran, so we don't yeah. go to public school. How does softball season go, Sophie? It went Gucci. You read it. Eight, you softball. You enjoyed it? Yeah. And Anna, you were in fellowship with me this summer. How was your softball season? I don't know. I didn't do anything, so. Yeah. Anna's been in PT this summer for her uh, knees, so she only played in a couple games, although she did play in the game. We got to play at Miller Park at Hellfire Field. She cranked a double. Nice. <laughs> and, uh. So that was uh, that was fun. What else have you guys been doing this summer? Pick one thing that was good besides the move. Uh, or softball. I can think of a bad thing. That's okay if you want to say I've a bad thing. I like going to Ohio and staying I've in the hotel and swimming. I've been... Um, <laughs> Don't be inappropriate. You're getting a smile. <laughs> Anna, we went I've to been, Ohio for um, Ziggy's baseball. Yep. I've been waiting very angrily for school to start. Ah, uh, Well, that sounds fun. Is angrily a word? It can be, I think. I don't sure. think it is. I don't <laughs> care. I just made it up. It's we got the basketball hoop up. Have you guys been dunking at all? I nope. can't <laughs> reach. I can't jump that high. <laughs> I, I can't. With the ball. I can only reach if I like climb up the pole and then jump. Uh, <laughs> what did we have on Saturday? Ziggy's confirmation and graduation party. party for eighth grade. And what did we do at the beginning? The house blessing. Yeah, Pastor Berg from Nain, not Mike, um, came and we had our house blessing of the house, which we were yeah. glad that Pastor was willing to come to do that. We did that at the old house and we did that at this, and it's a nice way to kind of start a life in a new house. I'd encourage people that is in the uh, Lutheran agendas of uh, the Synodical Conference churches. It's a really neat rite, I think, for pastors. It's one to maybe encourage amongst your people. We always get really good feedback from people who've been there who haven't seen that before. Um, but laity too, a, a nice way to, uh, there's nothing weird or goofy in it. It's some prayer, some hymns, some scripture reading, and a nice way to kind of set the tone for moving in. I yeah. guess, Mike, what do you got this summer? Well, You've been I, I all over. I was going to say that house blessing is, is pretty cool. Um, and if you haven't been to one or considering it, uh, you really should, uh, talk to your pastor and put it on his, his radar. It is cool. Although I would suggest doing the house blessing before you move in, just in case, uh, <laughs> you know, you fall on steps or something. Yeah, Who knows? That I mean, we don't. We don't know that you would have still fallen or not. But uh, I probably would have. Yeah. So, um, we traveled quite a bit. Um, 
but uh, then just academically did some writing on apologetics and vocation and writing a new course on, uh, not a new course, a new course to me, uh, the history of Christianity. So doing all those PowerPoint kind of frustrating kind of things right now. Anywhere people should be looking for the writing stuff you're doing? or <clears throat> I'm going to be speaking at our seminary um, for apologetics and then... Uh, uh, yeah, some vocation stuff for fifteen seventeen eventually, hopefully. So well, good. Yeah, the uh, yeah. apologetic stuff. The seminary usually posts that after symposium, so you can look for that there. It's gonna be weak. It's gonna be a weak paper, but that's what Mike uh, always says. Yeah, but so then it's good, yeah. so I'm sure they'll link it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything? Anything special that stands out that you've read this summer? Um, I just, uh, I should say, John Mitchell, our friend in Salt Lake City, uh, texted me out of the blue and said there is a book, uh, and now I'm going to forget the name, uh, Tish Harrison something, and she's an, she's an Anglican, and the Liturgy of Every Day or something, I'm, I'm missing the, the, the name of the book, I'm, we'll get it on the show notes, the, uh, the right name about it, but uh, just kind of... Uh, from an Anglican perspective, some vocation stuff, but also connecting it with that, the liturgy of life, so to speak. And it was, it was an interesting read. I'm glad that he recommended it to me. And I uh, just finished that up uh, about an hour ago. Nice. What do you, what I've do you been got on going? a fiction kick. I have read a bunch of dystopian science fiction type stuff. <clears throat> um, our episode on that got me going. So I've enjoyed that. I'm using Brave New World 1984 and Fahrenheit 451 in... Uh, the Christ and Culture course, they're kind of interspersed um, to look at what do those authors fear, what do they see as the um, possible things that can mislead a culture or, or the social order or, you know, human flourishing. <clears throat> um, and then I've read a few extra ones off of that and uh, really enjoyed them. And then the big thing I did this summer, uh, once I got hurt, was I reread David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest. So I've I believe I've read that three times. It might be two and a half. I can't remember if I quit um, what would have been the second time through. Um, but that was a fun read, too. So it's been a... And that's not that's not a sit-down-on-the-weekend read. No, that is a thousand-page novel with footnotes, uh, 100 or so pages of footnotes. And then I've read a, a lot for Christ and culture, especially stuff on the nature of democracy, economics, things like that. So got some episode ideas for stuff out of that um the thing with those episode ideas is that i have to kind of get something to the rest of you guys who mm-hmm. we all can be talking about the same thing but uh being uh crippled or whatever you want to call it uh people can seem to be calling it crippled when they refer to me um been able to get a lot of uh reading done and so that's been good the girls have been pretty good helpers um while i've been injured Although I, uh, the brace is at 60 degrees now that I can bend, so slowly getting to where I can uh, get around pretty good. I've been thinking about trying to dunk on the don't do that the new hoop. No. I wanted the boys to throw me an alley hoop at the party, but they wouldn't do it. <laughs> they said literally, "You're going to hurt yourself." <laughs> and uh, I don't think you can get any more hurt. Yeah, we'll we'll have to find mm-hmm. out on that one. Um, but yeah, Anna and Sophie, anything else? Uh, summer or beginning of school year that you got on your mind that's appropriate. I don't think so. Why do you doubt me so much? What's your What's your favorite thing about the new house that's not in the house? Um, we can set up our pool now. 
Yeah, next Even year maybe. Even though it's only like three feet big. What about the hot tub? You like the hot tub? Yeah, but we gotta clean them out. Previous owners left a hot tub that we don't know if it works or not, and it has to be cleaned out. So <laughs> it we'll looks see. Uh, nice though. But if we may have a hot tub episode at some point where we record live. <laughs> with yes, what with, could go wrong with, with the that? equipment? Yeah, but, uh, we've I've been through uh, being electrocuted multiple times. Yeah. So. so we'll have to see. If the hot tub doesn't work, we can have two pools. Yep. Well, good. Well, why don't we, uh, we will make our way to the main topic, and uh, we thank Sophie and uh, Anna for joining us for the uh, for the free fall. But before you take your headsets off, as we lead into the main topic, because <coughs> we're going to cut your mics for the main topic so that we don't, or we got to leave them on anyways, huh? So we'll just have to mute them. So actually, you can join us for the first part of the main topic, because I want to start it off with a question for you guys. That brings us to our main topic, and this is Mike's baby, so I'm going to throw it to him in just a little bit. But if I understand it correctly, Mike wants to talk about the true beauty of the church and maybe a little bit of the false beauty that people try to prop it up with throughout the centuries and maybe in our own day. But I thought a good way to lead into it would be to ask our listeners to think, and they can answer for themselves, but then to ask Anna and Sophie as well, as they've been around church their whole life. They've been pastor's kids, then they've been professor's kids. Um, they've gone to parochial school. Um, but a question for our listeners to think about as Anna and Sophie think about an answer is when you think church, what are the things that come to mind or how would you describe what church is? That word, it's a word we use in English for all sorts of things, right? Um, we can use it in a lot of ways, but what comes to mind when you think of church? And I'll let one of you go first, but hopefully our listeners can think of that too. When you hear the word church, what do you think? I think Jesus. Okay, that's a good answer that's to lead with. I was hoping you were going to give us some answer. fodder to criticize. What else do you got? I was going to say Jesus, but I'll nice. think of something different. Besides God or Jesus, what do you think about? I'll try to think of something different. Um, a group of people. All right. Good Lutheran well, you answer. You guys are going right to the catechism. Good, Luth- good Lutheran me here. answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, a group of people where what happens? You mentioned Jesus already, but what are those? What? why, why have that group of people? What are those group of people? What makes them who they are? Do they? Is it that they look alike? Is it that they're um, from a certain people place? People who come together because they want to hear about Jesus because yeah, he's a good who man come who died for us to, to take away our sins because we're sinful, well, sinful okay. people. You guys are just ruining this because this episode <laughs> could be done now. Uh, what takes place? So when, when you say they're gathering to come around Jesus, what takes place? Where does Jesus meet us when those Christians come together? What's the things where in our hearts? Okay, no. and we're getting a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> Jesus fine. is everywhere. Though. A little bit to the left. What's the? What do we come together for? What's the things that we come together for? Jesus to hear about him. Okay, and so preaching, right? He comes to us in preaching. Um, so a good sermon's gonna tell us about Jesus. What else? Where does Jesus come to us in the service? He doesn't come to us. He's everywhere. But he also comes to us in a sacramental way oh through um communion and baptism okay so in the lord's supper and baptism you guys uh 
You did too good on that. I was hoping we could send you inside and then I could criticize what you guys would have to say. What is um, What makes the church beautiful then? Because uh, uh, Dr. Berger, I don't know, are they allowed to call you Mike or are they call you Dr. I Berger? Care. I don't even know. What do you guys call him? I don't even know. Uh, I don't um, talk about I him. I call him so whatever I, I feel like. Yeah. Like in the Honestly. moment. Yeah. Um, what makes, if someone, in your view, what makes the church beautiful? Um... All the people there, and Jesus is there, and they come together to hear about them so they can be wiped clean and go to heaven. Okay. And Anna? Um, uh, probably the fact of all the people that came wanting to hear about Jesus. Okay, and so now, what if someone said, that's a beautiful church, and here, let's not get too Jesus-y. Although normally we want to be very Jesus-y. Um, what do you think when people say, that's a beautiful church? What's, what's some things about a church that, that, and think of maybe people who haven't had the catechism all their life, that they might think makes a church beautiful? Stained glass. That's what I was going to say. And like the bricks the pictures still. of stained glass. Yeah, and and you've the been, crosses. You've been fortunate thing. to be in churches with beautiful stained glass and Nain does and St. John's. Has and phenomenal the doors, class. The doors are fancy a lot of times too. <laughs> why do you think they? Why do you think they try to make the doors fancy? Um, because you're walking into God's house and God is the greatest, so you want to be fancy for Him. Yeah. What else might make a church beautiful? You guys are doing well. Um. <laughs> the what nice we're talking about now is aesthetics. Do you know that word? Yeah. You, oh yeah. <laughs> you really know that word? Yeah. What does it mean? <laughs> What is that, like a meme or something? And like How do you know what aesthetics means? Aesthetics. <laughs> <laughs> is that from a TV show? No. Okay. You wouldn't understand. Why are you <laughs> for, for the listeners he, out they're there? They're doing a hand motion. <laughs> There's a specific hand motion they're doing right now. <laughs> you got to yeah. add some slow motion. <laughs> okay, so what would glass. be some other things? Stained glass? Because um, you've had a specifically Lutheran experience of churches... Um, even when we were in ne- the Netherlands or Germany, most of the churches you saw were Lutheran or Catholic, and the Lutheran churches were inherited Catholic churches. What are some things that maybe the people ceilings. might think of? What about the ceilings? Uh, Sometimes they make pictures on there. There's pictures on <laughs> yeah. them. Are they usually low ceilings, high ceilings? They're high. high. <laughs> what, are, what are some things in the churches that. you've been in that maybe also people try to make sure are beautiful that, so that you focus on them? Um, the pew, or not the pew, um, the podium thingy. The altar, the ambo, or the the lectern. And the cloth things that they hang. The pyramids. Oh, yeah, those things. Um. Maybe like a gold crucifix or something. And the pictures and statues of Jesus. Yeah, when we were in Europe, you saw lots of those, right? So. I don't remember. I was like two. (laughs) So do you think those, those, those crucifixes are beautiful? I don't know what a crucifix like, is. Like, it's a cross with, a cross. with Jesus. Oh. With Jesus. The one you're used yeah, to seeing. Jesus cross. <laughs> what about, so if you had to pick a church that was had the best stained glass, the highest ceilings, the best pyramids or cloths on the altar, um, or a church that had um, only a few people, was just drywall like a house, um, but the, the church without the decorations had a sermon that told you your sins were forgiven. Two. And the other church, the I beautiful one, the stained glass, um, really didn't talk about Jesus much anymore. 
What would Two. be the beautiful church? Two. The one that Jesus created. <laughs> what does two mean? The, the fancy one? I forgot. The second one. I forgot. The what first one I said is, is where Jesus is preached. The second one was... I was no, right. You said that the, no, well, that <laughs> I didn't mean the first one. Oh, okay. I wasn't. I couldn't remember it because, like, like, I don't remember them. very good. All right, last so, question yeah. for you. So you, most of what you remember of church, and you don't remember Saginaw a lot because we went there um, around Christmas time, right? This year was the first time you were back. It'd been Friday. five years. Good Friday yeah. in Lent, um, and you saw Christ, <laughs> and then you've been at Nain, and then you've been at St. John's. What was your what stands out to you as as far as what you like best about the those three churches as far as uh what it looks like nice people okay uh, the fact that it's that it says lutheran on it <laughs> all right <laughs> well good well that uh, uh that helps us a lot and we will let you guys um as we said dr berg is going to turn down your mics now hopefully this is going to work well and then you're going to quietly set them down with the microphones up. Does so that make sense? Why don't you say goodbye first? Bye. Bye. Okay, now they are going to follow instructions carefully. We're in the realm of the law now. <coughs> Sophie's going very slowly. <laughs> <coughs> and we've got the mic set down. And thank you very much, ladies. Um, my wife has just come out. Trisha, would you like to come on the podcast? Mike, how would you describe her... Uh, her face at that she did not even uh acknowledge you yeah so a little taste of our marriage um and uh mike why don't you then now explain what you're thinking with this episode where we can go to the girls hit on the, the ideas at all or was i completely off no i so doing this uh history of christianity and having to read read some some history that i hadn't read in a, in a while and getting into some of let's just say the some of the more unsavory uh, stories of the Christian church's past and uh, noticing that uh, nothing's pure, right? Even even some of the great heroes of the Protestant Reformation, specifically the Lutheran Reformation, nothing's really pure. In fact, some of it's really, really, really ugly. I mean, studying church history ruins a lot of it for it you. It does. Um, it really, really does. And, <clears throat> and yet at the same time, you go, this is just like the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? Just a bunch of sinners. Um, and you see God's, uh, you see God's patience for sure, but you also marvel at his grace. And it's very easy to look at this and, and it dawned on me, I'm going to be teaching this to maybe some kids who don't really, I don't know, maybe weren't brought up in the church, um, don't necessarily, uh, have this inclination to be pro-Christian all the time. Their main objection might even be the church is too sinful. And and then to lay this out that like really, really, it's really bad. It's worse than you thought. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and like a mental note to make sure that while I'm slogging through some of this history and the details of this prince and that queen and this king um, and this bishop. The popes and, and the reformers The themselves. Renaissance popes Luther and the Luther has plenty of dirty and, stuff yep, in his... Is to, to say grace, 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 over, over and over again so that they uh, understand why we're studying this, right? Otherwise, it's just history, right? And history of the world is uh, full of nasty things and political maneuvering and, and some unsavory things as well, of course. So it kind of, and then thinking also how history really informs how we look at the church right now and thinking about <clears throat> how uh, one of the big questions um, that 
people deal with throughout history that we as humans deal with and then specifically the churches how do you put the the secular and the spiritual together or the spiritual and the physical together and how do you, how do you how do you do that and uh, one way we can one way we can misinterpret that or answer that question uh, incorrectly is to say the spiritual is good and the physical is bad right and <clears throat> so I started thinking a little bit about uh, God coming down, not just in the incarnation, but then using human beings this way. And what does it mean to be uh, something? What does it mean for something to be beautiful? Right. And I think that's an objective thing. I can make a case that uh, beauty is an objective thing. We kind of talk about this in apologetics quite a bit, that there is such a thing as beauty and it's probably connected more to morality than we really realize. But then you have the cross, right? Well, by the way, you'd really dig this groby an article i just edited for logia i think yeah i'm really uh, that's the next thing i want to tackle is go back and reread aristotle on love or on beauty and uh reread uh mark mattis luther on beauty and really get a handle on that for apologetic purposes but also just because i'm interested in that um and when i go through this with the students about the objectivity of beauty then i look at the cross right and something that is so ugly is flipped upside down and it is beautiful and so we're right there with the theology of the cross that what i think might be ugly actually is beautiful right and i know so because god said so and so when we look at the church right now i mean boy i mean scandal after scandal after scandal right and it can be very i mean you have if you're somebody who wants an excuse not to go to church you don't need to look very far. Down. Watch the news or yeah. go on Facebook. I mean, my for goodness, pastors. it's just it's just awful, right? And I'm not even talking about the scandals that we all know about. I'm just talking about how we interact with people, how the church is, how the church portrays itself um, in this world, um, regardless of your political leanings. You have every excuse if you're a skeptic to just turn your nose up at the church. And, and the first reaction is to say, well, yeah, of course the church is ugly because it's made of sinners, right? But I think it's more than that, too. It is Christ redeeming these sinners. Um, that's really where you have this, uh, what is beauty and how does it, how does it look like? And, and so I'll, I'll let you talk a little bit, but just maybe one more thing just to kind of, if you want to get to it and we can do it later, too is we do we are attracted to churches that have nice modern clean buildings right um and a successful polished speaker and he doesn't fall off his patio yeah you know that kind of stuff you know like not us <laughs> right and then the contrast with that and i've preached at a few a few churches uh, and you have two in the rural areas or in Milwaukee in a, in a er, more urban setting where by all accounts, they look dying, perhaps old, um, maybe kind of maybe I, even already dead. Yeah. And I even think about it this way. Misfit toys, right? People that don't fit into that uh, three children, two cars, suburban kind of uh, picture of America. And yet that's the most beautiful picture of the church for me is just this this small group of people that are they have no pretension you know they don't have you know we're great or anything like that they're just truly going to church because they this is the place where they maybe in 
the only place in their lives right now where they feel loved and they can hear some good news, right? And so we, we can get wrapped up, can't we, into the outward success. And there's a theology of the cross lesson there for us. Yeah, no, I think you hit on a ton of good stuff. And I would just say with church history, I mean, it's very sobering. Most people who want to study church history, and this goes back to my own experience too, was um, when I got exposed to the Lutheran church and I decided to read my Bible and read a bunch of church history and see what I agreed with more, Lutheranism or Catholicism. And when you really start studying church history, you realize if you're if you're looking for the good guys, you're in trouble. Yep. Um, there's plenty of dirt on everyone. Um, and then when you read your Bible, if you start with the Old Testament, you quickly realize if you're looking for the good guys, you're in trouble. Um, because if the Old Testament drives home anything, it's that uh, sometimes the worst people get the most grace. Um, and, you know, really suspect people become the patriarchs that we sing and talk about, um, the uh, the people that are humbled to be exalted, you know, if we think of the Magnificat or the Te Deum. And uh, it's messy. And I think we see that and think, that's going to scare people away. Um, even someone like St. Augustine really struggled with the Old Testament. You know, this God seems backwards he's loving the wrong people he seems angry coarse and yeah. yeah and uh and you'll quickly learn that this church is way more earthy than you would expect i don't care and i love beautiful church buildings and the stuff the girls listed um was probably for good reason that's the churches i take them to and go look how beautiful this is um but no matter the building you put them in end of the day, whether or not they're putting on their best show, um, all of us in those buildings know just how not beautiful we are. And uh, th we all have skeletons in the closet. We all have things we're terrified that would come to public knowledge. We can all pray with David, forgive us the sins of our youth. Um, we all know we've given people plenty of reasons not to give Christianity a shot just in our own lives. Um, and yet, God is just downright stubborn and persistent uh, with sinners. And we can go to a church and think, that church was people who are too simple, too sinful, too uh, backwards. Too Republican, too Democrat, too this, too that. Yeah. And end of the day, God says, yep, those are are my people, um, and everyone qualifies, right? Um, you know, Rosenblatt says the church is for sinners, and the good news is we all, we all qualify, and uh, and so the the reason we adorn our churches uh, isn't when we're at our best, at least that you know um, that this is a uh, you know well we like to say well. All, you know, we're giving glory to God. We're giving God what he deserves. Um, but if you look at historically when Christianity is best built churches, is we glorify the places where God comes to sinners. The pulpit, the altar, the font, the things we depict in stained glass, the crucifixion, um, these great moments of, of sinners being forgiven, um, Jesus taking up 
sinful children and having time for them uh, often in baptistries. And uh, I think this is an important reminder in our own day too. We might look at, um, some people really fret and they get fearful and they kind of wring their hands and go, look at our culture and society, it's so lost. And really, um, what God would have the church say is, man, the fields are ripe for harvest. You know, look at all those people I want to make beautiful. And so when you mentioned this as an idea, Mike, the first thing that came to mind to me was Ephesians 5. And unfortunately, we usually read Ephesians 5 um, practically, if not um, if not purposefully for the roles of men and women. And we miss um, the main thing Paul is doing there, uh, which is to present a, re- a picture of the relationship between uh, Christ and the church. Um, and, you know, you think of what Paul says there, and he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the water, washing of water in the word. And here's what always comes to mind. So that he might present to the church, present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and, ble- and without blemish. And uh, that's always such a powerful verse because it's not that Christ sends his bride off and says, "Go get beautiful for me." It's that Christ takes his bride and makes her beautiful. And then says she is what we all know perfectly well, according to her nature, she is not, right? Um, She is holy. She is without spot or blemish. She is radiant. And you go, what do you mean? And that's where I was happy the girls got to, um, the centrality of preaching in the sacraments, um, that this is where Christ does it. And that's the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing is what happens with and to the sinner, um, and hopefully that's why we decorate the places where that takes place. Um, this is not that um, that God wants us to build beautiful church, but God builds the beautiful church through us in preaching and teaching and the sacraments through hymn singing, which is really an extension of preaching if it's a good hymn. Um, and so you see throughout church history uh, the great saints, even if they weren't completely on point doctrine. You look at a St. Francis and you go, well, he said and wrote some things that aren't very Lutheran. Yep, uh, he wasn't Lutheran. <laughs> he was living in a religious climate that um, the gospel had been obscured. But then you look at some of the ways that the gospel impacted and affected how he dealt with others um, or how he saw his own relationship with God. Even a Thomas Aquinas dies with Jesus on his lips. Mm-hmm. Um, although Aquinas, you know, articulates a theology um, that is at odds with, um, you know, the gospel and only the gospel at times. Uh, this is uh, this is where you find the best in church history, um, and uh, and you read the funeral sermons of about these great saints, and the best of them. That's what they focused on too. Even Melanchthon was very honest when he preaches um, Luther's funeral oration, but he recognizes that end of the day. God's grace was for Luther, and God's grace came off Luther's lips uh, for other and others. And so you look at a church that um, appears dead or dying, and you can't read the Old Testament and not think, well, that's the one uh, God plans to work through. That's the one that, that God is uh, 
is treasuring. Yeah, and when we think about, okay, what is what is a church, makes a church beautiful, and I, I would think we were trying to get at with your children was most people would say they would go to what they see, right? And so the building, the art, and that kind of stuff. And and I think we should build fine churches. I mean, it's not like you purposely, this is, this is you don't purposely flaunt your sin you don't purposely flaunt your mediocrity and go look at us because that actually is a negative theology of glory you're just you're just trying to get in through the back door same problem different way yeah and so i think about some of these newer church buildings that are beautiful and hey if you're going to go visit a couple different churches and you're church shopping or whatever you are going to feel more comfortable probably at a church that is newer that's why you know businesses you know, concentrate on their showroom. They concentrate on the building that you go to as much as they do the product, right? I mean, it's just it's just the way it is. But you can balance that out, and I think you really can with the crucifix, right? Uh, because, and maybe just go through the, the whole uh, thing about beauty being objective. I, I, I like to, and maybe I did this on the podcast before. I apologize if I have, but when you think about beauty... Um, beauty being in the eye of the beholder, you should think location because if beauty is located in the eye of the beholder, then it's no longer in the object, right? And then it's not really beauty. It's just something that's in my mind. And we're very close to saying truth is in the mind of the thinker, right? And so beauty is an objective thing that is, first of all, in the object. And, and it stands beautiful or ugly, whether I think so or not. Right. And that actually is not um, exclusive. Uh, it sounds exclusive. That says beauty is objective. It's actually more inclusive because it's not dependent upon our preferences or our, our whims or our, our whatever sinful kind of attitude gets in the way of looking at something and saying that it's ugly and not beautiful. Um, but when it comes to the cross, specifically the crucifix, which we sanitize a little bit, um, this man dying on the cross, that's ugly. That's torture. They didn't have to do that when they executed people, the Roman Empire. Um, it's, it's, the, it's, it's one of the ugliest things in the history of humanity that we would, we would kill somebody in that way, let alone kill somebody at all, right? And yet that is our ultimate good, and it's beautiful. And so it gets flipped upside down, right? And we know that because God said so. And he reveals that to us. And so now take that to the body of Christ, which is full of... And, and let's not just say, okay, people who are don't dress well or who are hypocrites or who are sinners. I'm talking about you go to a church and half the people are not of your political stripe. And you just are just... You, that's ugly to you. You're, you're repulsed by that kind or of thing. Or they don't look like you. Or they're or not they don't look like you. Background. They're not there. And, and, or I'm purposely going to go to this church because I feel righteous about going to some place that's not the white suburban. You know, whatever. It makes you feel better. All that kind of stuff. Um, I, can, I can turn my nose up at this poor uh, minority, but I can also turn my nose up at the majority the successful people in the maybe a suburban church and and both are wrong or even like a reverse church growth where we're virtuous because we're shrinking right and i and and the point there is i look at those people and i say they're somewhat ugly they're not what i want and you may be exactly right they may be hypocrites they may be terrible 
but God said that they're righteous and beautiful. Uh, and so I go by what God said instead of what I see, because the beauty is objective and God decides what is beautiful or not, not me. And, and I think that gets just briefly, that gets at the core of what makes Lutheranism Lutheranism. God, Lutheranism sees that declaration of justification as central. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the beauty is something declared. It's not something yeah. um, inherent in it's the an, thing. It's not a process. Right. It's not a process. God's word has creative power and he declared right. He made us righteous by Christ's acts. I can say he declared it and us righteous and he made us righteous. It's the same thing um, and has the power of God. And therefore I need to look at those people that I think is uh, are ugly, or I need to look at that cross me, Mike? That, think, that I think is ugly and say, that's somebody who is beautiful and here's why. And it's because of Christ. And so you have the connection of the incarnation, God coming down into this, this dirty world, and then using people that are, I mean, the worst of the worst, right? And will even abuse their authority, power, or their Christian faith for the most heinous of all acts. And yet, we marvel at God's grace because of that. And so the, the depth of that ugly sin is contrasted with just the marvelous beauty of the gospel. And then you take that and where that is most apparent, that, that scandal, that flipping everything up backwards, is specifically the crucifixion. Yep. And so I, I, it's really, you and I, I think, are on the same page about, man, you know what? You can design the church you want. You want a freestanding altar. You want an altar that's up there. You know, okay, whatever. We got opinions about that, but whatever. You want to have this kind of design, or if you want to have a cruciform design, whatever. But if we had one thing, we'd be like, put a crucifix up there. Not just a cross, a crucifix. If we, if we had one thing that we we would never mandate, but we would, if we could, we would, right? Um, because of that. And then that Christ who is backwards to us, who is so ugly at that moment and yet so beautiful, the body of Christ, which he is the head, or to put it into the, uh, to the, the marriage term, his bride who um, has cheated on him right, by, by worshiping other, other gods, um, is made beautiful and is declared beautiful. And so if I can look at the cross and say that's beautiful, even though it's ugly, I can do that with the people, with the building, with the denomination, with the whole history of the church. And that's where I, I think uh, it's really a Christological way of looking at the beauty of the church, this idea, and it's really a theology of the cross lesson for us to learn. Yeah, I think uh, the... Um Isaiah comes to mind, but maybe we can get back to Isaiah. But <clears throat> I was uh, in my boredom. I've been reading through the scriptures again. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's why the Lord let me get hurt. Um, but Hosea is just a beautiful book if you read it too. And, uh, you know, the Lord um, in there says you will, you will say to, um, well, verse 23 here of, uh, of chapter 2 and <clears throat> probably better if I just read it but Israel's pictured as the unfaithful wife mm -hmm. and and you have uh, I mean pretty, pretty uh, graphic descriptions graphic, yeah. of the unfaithfulness of Israel and he says at the end of chapter 2 verse 23 I will plant my people in the land those who are not loved I will call my loved ones 
those who are not my people I will call my people, then they will say, you are our God. And I think we sometimes miss that, that the ones at the end of the day, according to the scriptures, who will say, you are our God, are the people who are clearly not the Lord's people, the unfaithful people um, who the Lord has declared to be his own. And if you think of Isaiah and of Christ himself, Isaiah um, 53, famous, um, you know, during Lent, um, the prophet says, and, and you can almost sense the exasperation, but then he reaches this high point, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was, desi- he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted, from grief, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. Um, and so I think we ought not be surprised when what was true of Christ is true of the church still mm-hmm. today. Um, but then what was true of Christ then as well um, is true of Christ still today, that there's plenty who will hide their face from that, that will see Christ um, as every as the incarnation of everything they don't want in a religion, um, when at the end of the day, his true beauty is found in his lack of beauty, right? That there's nothing in his former appearance that we should say, that's our guy. Um, why is he our guy? Isaiah goes on in that chapter and says, you know, he he bore our afflictions. He was... He bore our stripes. He was smitten for our sins. Um, That is where the beauty of Christ comes, and that is where the beauty of the church comes from as well. Yeah, Uh, he's he's (laughs) ugly because of us, and he turns that into a beautiful thing. Yeah, and he who had no sin became sin. That's the scandal. That we might be the righteousness of God. That's the scandal, which is also the most beautiful picture of grace. Yeah, and so I I think, uh, I don't know what we're at for time, Mike, and I don't want to belabor it, so... um, but I would say, you know, the big takeaway for me, and, and the girls did too good of a job at the beginning, so they kind of let me down by being well categorized. And so I uh, I will blame your brother um, and the pastors and teachers at St. John's Lutheran for that. Um, but I like that they both jumped in with Jesus. The true beauty of the church at the end of the day is Jesus. And it's not even just that image of Jesus. Um, we both uh, prefer a corpus on the cross to a cross without a corpus. We prefer the crucifix. Um for I would say for teaching and preaching purposes Mm -hmm. it's something to point to and drive home a message Um, but the real beauty in the end of the day is I I would say the absolution um, the declaration of justification Um, it's what takes place at the font Um, the last thing that people are thinking looks cute at the font is Jesus it's the baby right look Mm -hmm. at that cute baby (laughs) Um, Jesus is almost in the minds of many who are watching an afterthought, but the real beauty is is Jesus taking that baby who's who's born, um, as Luther said uh, in a letter to a friend, inviting him to the baptism of Luther's own child, a little wretch, um, and declares that child his own. It's the beauty is when I go to the Lord's Supper for the for the two thousandth time in my life, um, fully needing it as much as I did the first time, um. And God puts that sacrament in the hands of, of himself, a, a sinful minister. And I leave forgiven again after all these shots I've had. Um, the beauty is when the service begins, and it begins with our baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then the pastor not only reminds us, but does to us what makes us um, children of God, that absolution again. Um, and, you know, sometimes we might hear that and think, 
well, isn't it time to get past that? Um, and the answer, I think, would be, no, that's our beauty. We would be a completely unbeautiful church um, without those words, no matter what we build. Um, the building is good. I love a beautiful church. If I ever get to do a building project for a church, don't get me wrong, I am going to go all out. <laughs> um, but uh, that we not lose sight of the fact that that's where the beauty is and that you not lose sight. If you're sitting there listening and it's not been your best week, your best month, your best summer, your best year, your best decade, um, you feel completely unworthy of God, of Christ and his grace. You look at the crucifix and you actually see something that makes you feel guilty. How could God do that for me when I mess it up again and again? Um, maybe you've been tempted not even to step into church um, because that's where the people who have their lives together go. Um, a, read the scriptures. The disciples had three years with Jesus and he spends most of his time rebuking them. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to say, uh, no, um, you are his bride. You are, imbe- you are beautiful. Have you been unfaithful? Read Hosea. Um, but you are the not my people who are his people, and the church has no message and no beauty without the message it has for you. Um, and shame on the church that's giving you the impression, if it has, uh, that you are not beautiful for that reason, or that's not where you can go to find that beauty. Um, because the church, as much as anyone, can be tempted to think where, where, where you come to to cultivate your own beauty, mm-hmm. which becomes a spiritual vanity um, and not really Christianity at, at, uh, at all. And I'm sure, Mike, as you've been uh, working through this course, you've seen that's the great temptation in every age um, until God sends a sinner. And often the people who rally around that sinner um, are the people that the church that was going to dress people up, the, um, that the spiritually vain had no time for. Um, and if the church is going to weather all the storms that people fret about the church weathering, it needs to recognize that, that that's its reason um, for existence. And I'll stop with that. No, and I think about uh, when I was a parish pastor, I often used the term um, an ugly an ugly beauty. Um, so I talked about this before, that we were the church in this small little town. Um, and so you kind of think about maybe like a neighborhood church back whenever where the pastor literally knew everybody and had a, everybody had a connection to that church, whether they were members or they had relatives or friends who were members. And with that comes no secrets. I mean, very few secrets, right? Obviously, there's some things that are kept secret, but believe me, most of it was out in the open. And so you could have that tension of... Um, people didn't want to go to church because everybody knew what they did and yet they there was somehow it actually worked out in a different way that they would come because well they knew what they did <laughs> right everybody knew so the the gross sinners knew about the small sinners and knew how how we're all on the same same page there and so dealing with oh man i mean you know every sin that you could think of and yet having those people still come in here absolution it was it was it was an ugly beauty right um having to see all of that ugliness and then to see the beauty that they were still forgiven and something that i'm i've been missing more and more from the parish and i found this out helping out um not just preaching but doing some uh presiding at the liturgy um is giving communion 
I yep. mean, that is just the most beautiful thing to place and giving that, it to people you know uh, is amazing. Put that into their hands and in their mouth is just, I, uh, I, it's hard to get through it sometimes. Um, and I make sure to to smile when I'm uh, blessing the table and to say, um, you know, maybe this true body and blood um, strengthen and preserve you into life everlasting. Um, and to smile when I say that, and to have people often smile back who seconds before look like they were about to cry, right? Is that's that ugly beauty that just, I you can't even describe it sometimes. It's, it's such a moving, moving experience. And so that's, it all comes together there in, and right where Christ's body and blood that was once on the cross doing his ugly beauty thing uh, is right there doing ugly beauty things in a scandalous way, um, but a quite comforting and peaceful way still today. Sounds like a Christ letting the bird fly. I think so. Uh, every evening when the sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk. I'm just a tanker. I set him up another round. I set him up another round. I set him up another round. One more round won't get me down.